morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, thank you, Matthew, for leading us in worship this morning. So, um, welcome to Greg's house. Even though Pat's not here, we've been hosted faithfully by Lisa. And um, Lisa, I want to thank you wherever you are. She's letting people in the back door, okay? So they're not tearing down the roof, they're coming in the back. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> he keeps it locked, yeah. Um, okay, well, I've been praying that this would be a meaningful time for all of us as we uh, look into the scriptures and see what God would speak to us today. If you would go and op- open your Bibles to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. The uh, surveys just released show that mainstream Protestants are fleeing the church. The number of people that identify themselves in that category has shrunk by uh, a, a large percentage over the past seven years. People say that Christianity is just boring, that it doesn't meet the needs of the people. Um, hey, come on in, Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. So as I was saying, the survey show that the number of people identifying as mainstream Protestants is shrinking. People say that Christianity is boring, that the church is depressing. And you know, I'm here today to say, well, what's going on with this? What could possibly explain this situation because from my point of view these people have never known Christ they may have been going to a church they may have been raised in a family where the parents are believers but they don't know Christ if they're falling away they say the church is boring or depressing. If you look there in verse 4, Philippians 4, what does it say? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. So if you just look at those first five words, you have rejoice in the Lord always. And those three sections, which of those sections is maybe the most important section. The word rejoice in the Lord or the always part. Really, it's... They're equal. They're all important. But as Greg was sharing with me this morning, he says, without the in the Lord part, the other stuff doesn't matter. So it's all built upon in the Lord. And so really what I want to do this morning is to Think about what in the Lord means and how many times in Scripture that's given to us as something vital for our understanding of our relationship with Christ. Paul posed a uh, hypothetical situation in Romans 9 when he said that if someone who loved God and loved perishing people enough to be damned for them, in other words, he was willing to be cut off from Christ so that his fellow Jews would be saved. Now think about this. Paul, who loved the Lord, who knew the Lord, 
and saying he loved the Jews so much that he if that if him being cut off from Christ would lead to their salvation, he'd be willing to do this. And he used the word accursed, cut off from Christ. A curse away from Christ. This was the worst situation Paul could conceive of. In other words, what's the worst situation on earth? To be cut off from Christ. Well, actually, that's the worst situation forever. But also on the earth. So then by comparison, what is the best situation on earth? To be in union with Christ. Paul uses this, either you're with Christ or you're cursed apart from Christ as the dividing line from with the extreme of what's the worst situation or the extreme of what's the best situation. To be united to Christ is the best possible situation. No promise in Scripture reaches higher than this to be united with Christ. There is nothing greater (laughs) theologically. There's nothing greater theologically and there's nothing greater experientially than being united to Christ. It's what you long for in Christ. It's really what you hope for, being united to Christ. There's no truth more desirable and there's nothing more comprehensive than the fullness of union with Christ. Being united to Christ is the highest order of spiritual experience you can have in life. Okay? Now, is that depressing to you? Could that possibly be boring? No. No. Being united to Christ means that you experience the supernatural every day. Every day. Living as a new creature in Christ is glorious. Listen to this promise from 2 Peter 2, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Does that sound boring to you? Having been given everything pertaining to life and godliness in Christ? The fact that many churchgoers on these surveys do not know this and do not feel as if it were true should not surprise us. I mean, even Paul himself in, Philipp- in Ephesians 1.8 prayed for believers when he said that they might know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. And that's what I pray for you this morning. That you would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power for you who believe in Jesus Christ. It, it gives me chill bumps just to say these words. But these are God's words for us, right? This is what he has written in scripture, in scripture for us. 
Evidently, Paul thought that many believers needed God to teach them the wonders of what they had received by faith. Paul was asking God to show them who they really were, for until God truly reveals to us through his word who we are, we don't know who we are. I appreciated the songs that you were singing this morning because they spoke about this life in Christ and who he's made us to be. Without knowing who they are in Christ, people think they have to make things happen. They judge, they criticize, they blame, they target other people. That is depressing. Really, that is depressing. I mean, if you're going to be blamed for all your failures, I mean, that's why Christ came, right? To do away with that. For he took the blame for us. You don't need to go to church to be blamed for your failures. The devil is happy to do that everywhere you go. There's no unity in that world. There's no rejoicing. It may seem strange, but we have to be taught that we who believe in Jesus are walking miracles. You see, we were dead men and women until Christ came to bring us life. You are a walking miracle if you believe in Jesus Christ. You are a walking miracle, those of you that believe in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, Paul went on to say, You are dead in trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. Now, you might not feel like you're a walking resurrection called to rejoice in the Lord always, but you are. And here's why. The acts of Christ. Living as a new creature in Christ is glorious, Because now our life and all of its affections are not merely gifts of Christ to us, but they are the very actions of Christ in us. This is tricky. It's not that he just handed us something that we take and now he backs away. It's that he reached out his hand, we took it, and he entered our life. And now his acts of love are within us. They're part of us. They're they're part of who we are. The, The very acts of Christ, our love, our joy, our peace, our strength, are not merely gifts received from him. They are the very love, joy, peace, and strength of Christ himself. The the point is, is that every good thing in our lives is a gift from God. Even our ability to love our wife. Even the love that we have for our family. That's God loving them through us. It's his power of love. It's his power of strength and joy within us. Consider joy. John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, And that your joy may be full. Now whose joy is in you? Jesus' joy. You think Jesus is very joyful? Has Jesus ever been frustrated? You think so? You think Jesus' plan and purpose never come into (laughs) being? But his plan never fails. 
In the end, he's always rejoicing. Don't miss this. His joy is in us. We don't just have a new joy as a gift from him. We have a new joy because our new joy is Christ rejoicing in us. There's something extremely significant about Christ in us. Christ in us. We are rejoicing with his joy. When Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, he meant the instructions about abiding in the vine, like a branch abides, abides in the vine. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The life in the vine, which is the sap, and let's call it the sap of joy. The life in the vine, the sap of joy, is the same life that's in the branch, right? The sap of joy. The life joy of the vine gives life to the branch. Not a These are the words that he used to describe it. So the life of Christ, the love and the joy of life of Christ is the same life and joy that we express to one another and we express back to him. They are not different joys. New creatures in Christ no longer experience joy simply with our own joy. We now have Christ's joy in us. And his enjoying is our enjoying. Same thing with his love. In the same passage, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is the Father's commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. All the Father's commands are, are summarized in this, love one another. Where does this love come from? It's the love of Christ within us. Do you think you can manufacture a love for somebody that's better than the love of Christ within you to love that person? We, how do you love the unlovable? By your own superhuman strength? Now you love the unlovable because Christ is loving them through you. It's his actions of love and joy. What is this abiding in love? It's the same as abiding in this joy. Jesus is loving others through you as you love. Keep on loving others with my love is what he says. To abide in the love of Christ is to enjoy being loved by him and loving others with his love. His peace and his strength, they follow the same kind of reasoning. What about peace, Jesus said? I, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Whose peace do you have? Jesus' peace. Not as the world would give you, but better. <laughs> let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Your hearts don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid because Jesus' peace is in you if you believe in him. Peace is not just a gift that passes separately from Christ the giver to us the receiver. Peace is ours because Jesus is ours. The peace he experience, experiences, we also experience. 
Because he is in us, our experience of peace is his peace in us. Same story with strength. He says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Being in the Lord is the same as being as the branch in the vine. The strength of the Lord is not merely a gift from him to us. We are, when we are strong against the devil and sin, it's because his strength has become our strength. That's the only strength that you have to fight against sin, is the strength that God gives you to fight it. He is being strong in us. We are strong in the strength of his might when this happens. Now, Jesus lives within us, and we can look at it this way. All of this miraculous experience of Christ's supernatural joy and peace and love and strength is rooted in the reality of Christ in us. Christ is in us. That is, the living Christ is in us. Paul wrote to the Colossians in three, verse, chapter 3, 3 and 4. You have died. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. We've, we've heard these things before. But there's something powerful that remains for us to comprehend and for God to work out in our lives about Christ in us. Christ is our life, not only the guarantee of eternal life in heaven, but the new beginning of life now by the Spirit as he lives in us. His joy becomes our joy. His love becomes our love. His peace becomes our peace. His strength becomes our strength. These are not just gifts moving from him to us, except that they are the gift of Jesus Christ, his Spirit coming to live within us. Paul gives this gives an explanation for how this happens in Galatians 2.20. Listen to this one. I have been crucified with Christ, so I'm dead, right? It is no longer I who live, so I'm, I'm dead, right? But Christ who lives in me. Christ is living in those who believe in him. Now this is a, this is a mystery, I'll grant you that. But that's the promise. And believe me, it's not depressing. It's not boring. And once it happens, God keeps it secure. This is gloriously fantastic. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ is living, so I am living, right? Christ is loving, so I am loving. Christ is at peace. Thank you, Greg. More or less. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate the encouragement. Christ is at peace. So am I. Christ is strong. So am I. He must increase. I must decrease. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Okay, so I want to I think about this whole idea of union with Christ and apply it to key verses in Philippians that we've been studying for the past three years. <laughs> because 
I wanted to really understand the reason that Paul could say, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and have it not just fly over my head. There's got to be some building blocks of faith that bring us to that point. Because he says it over and over and over again in this letter. Rejoice. I mean, you go out there in the world today, do you find cause for rejoicing out there? Not a lot. So, chapter 1, verse 6 in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is at work within you. Jesus Christ, if he ever began working in you, then right now, this morning, he is continuing to work in you. If he ever began to work in you, then he is going to continue that work in, in your life until you reach the point where you're ready to see Jesus without wrinkle or spot or blemish. He's going to continue. Verse 8. How I yearn for all of you, for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, the affection of Christ Jesus. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. His affections. Paul loves these people, the Philippians, with the same loving affection that Jesus has for his bride, the church. How do you love someone? With the affections of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Where does our righteousness come from? It's an alien righteousness. It's a separate righteousness, not part of us. It comes from outside of us, and it's applied to us, the righteousness of Christ. So are you righteous? Believers in Christ, are you righteous? In Christ. We are righteous. This fruit of righteousness is procured and produced by God in us through Christ. Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What is confidence in the Lord? Confidence in the Lord. Well, it's not only secure Belief that he is going to be there, but I think it also has this piece of his confidence within us. Do you think Jesus is very confident? That he, he knows what he's doing? Yes. Yeah. Confidence means with faith, right? Con and the word F-I, faith, with, with faith. This confidence in the Lord is the love and courage of Christ which casts out all fear. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. While I am alive, it is Christ who lives in me. And when I die, I will gain the full glory of his presence. To die is gain. Does that sound depressing to you? Is that boring? Verse 27, that you are standing firm in, in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This whole idea of standing firm, striving side by side in one spirit. Whose spirit is bringing this about? The spirit of Christ. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, 
any affection and sympathy. We complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Okay. Encouragement, comfort, participation, affection, sympathy, same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Whose qualities are these? They're Jesus' qualities. Paul is saying, have them because they are yours in Christ. He's given them. He's, he's brought them into you. Now, let them live. Let them live. Verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ. He's saying this mind, he's talking about the mind of Christ, is yours in Christ. So you, it belongs to you now. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he says, have the same mind of humility and service and life of obedience. And who set the example? Whose life is this? Christ. This is what your life is like. If you read the travel brochure and it, it said nothing about becoming like Christ, throw it in the trash. I mean, the, the, the road map that God gives us takes us to be like him because he is alive in us. How do we get these things in us? They come when Christ comes into us, into our lives. Chapter 2, verse 12, the second part of 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's the second time. He said it one in verse 1, verse 6, I mean chapter 1, verse 6. He's still working in you. And because he's working in you, we should never give up. I mean, some people say, well, since he's working, I don't have to. But no, that's not the case. He's working, so we should never give up because God's working. And if he's working, he's going to bring it to completion. So let's work alongside of him is what he's saying. He is pleased, and he is pleased with all his work to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is pleased in what he's doing in your life. He's pleased that you're here today. God is pleased that you're studying the scriptures together with the, with the other believers here. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord. These, these things are everywhere. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Where else should our hope come from? Is there any other that we should place our hope in? That our hope should spring from? Where does our hope come from? It, our hope is in the Lord, even to send Timothy to you soon. We hope in the Lord Jesus because he controls all things. Verse 21, for they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In every situation, the interests of Jesus are to be our interests. Because this is most satisfying. This is the least depressing way to live. For the interests of Christ are also our interests. You want to hitch your wagon to a star? This is where you hitch your wagon. To the interests of Jesus Christ. And not our own. Verse 24. And I trust in the Lord. Okay, I hope in the Lord. 
Now I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. We are to trust Jesus in every situation. This is the most satisfying situation and the one that honors Christ, to trust him. No matter what happens in life, we trust him. And I'm looking at you, Jack. We trust him. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor and <clears throat> with all joy and honor such men. How do you receive someone in the Lord? You honor him as if he were Jesus' close friend. You receive him in the Lord. As if Jesus were there living with you and in you and Jesus was receiving him, then that's he trains us. That's how we receive people. As if it were Jesus' close friend as if he were Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so he summarizes all the instructions so far to find his joy in Jesus, to give yourself to gratitude and to praise, be glad in God. You can see that there's reason for him to say that, rejoice in the Lord. Then verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There's three actions here. The source and means of our worship is the Spirit of God. We esteem Jesus so highly that we glory in him. You know, a lot of people glory in their big brother, or they glory in their sports team, or they find glory in something that's bigger than themselves, and they're doing well, so by association, I'm doing well. It's similar to, that's not a bad interpretation. It's just he's saying, glory in Christ Jesus, not in the Cowboys. Glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in your own personal achievements. We glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing Jesus is worth more than any other thing. So it's clear that knowing him is cause for continuous rejoicing. So I'm, here's where I'm beginning to see. Okay. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'm going to say, well, why? Well, here's a good reason why. Because knowing him is worth more than everything else. And once you have found Christ, you have found the pearl of great price that's worth more than any other thing. Therefore, rejoicing should come. And Jesus is also rejoicing that we have found him, that he has revealed himself to us. He was pleased to reveal himself, so Jesus also rejoices. Verses 8, chapter 3. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The things that I used to treasure, I have lost. But I found them as worthless to me. Some of you have lost <coughs> things from your pre-Christ life. And as you grow in Christ, you find that they were worthless. In fact, they, they didn't help you in the tale of Christ. They restricted you in Christ. We found them worthless. 
having gained Christ and being found in him, by having faith in him, I obtain the perfect righteousness accredited to my account, so I rejoice. Again, another reason to rejoice. The things that used to bear me down, I've lost, and what I've gained in return has given me life. So I rejoice. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. My goal is to know Jesus to the greatest extent I can. Even to the extremes of the great power of his resurrection or the fellowship or the depths of his suffering. These are extremes. He's given those in his example to show the width of how much he wants to know Christ. So I can press on now. So, so I too will be resurrected from the dead. Because resurrection from the dead means that we will be face to face with Christ forever. And we will know and experience Christ in his glory. Verse 12b, so I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Well, this is the same statement from earlier. Jesus is working steadily, continuously um, in me. I belong to him. So I press on now with great confidence that the goal will be reached because he's working in me. I press on because Christ has made me his own. I press on toward the goal in verse 14. For the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. This final prize God has for us is the call to finally come and be with Christ. The call to come and be with him. Verse 15b, God will reveal that also to you. God is at work within you. And when he reveals, you understand. And when you understand, it's because he reveals it to you. Sometimes we think we're really, really clever. But the truth of the matter is, when we finally understand something, it's because God has shown us. And when he shows us something, we're going to understand it. That's why he says to study, to approve, show yourself approved. That's why he says transform your mind with the renewing, renewing of your mind. Transform your, your, your life. <clears throat> Verses 20, 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we wait a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Okay, so he's got a lot of stuff in here. Paul, he was a Jew, trained in the law, born as a Greek in a Roman city. So he considers himself Jewish, but he was born in a Greek city, but happened to have Roman citizenship. But here he was, he was disposing of all that, saying, my citizenship is in heaven. You, you, see, the, you see the interesting play here? He could claim to be a Roman citizen, although he was born in the Greek city, but he was a Jew. But now he's saying, none of that matters, because now my citizenship is in heaven. The other interesting thing about this is that um, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Jesus has come in in the spirit, but the promise is he'll transform this lowly body into a glorious body. Like whose? Like Jesus's. So it's almost like the spiritual rebirth is the down payment of what is yet to come with a glorious body to be that's, that's perfectly adapted to live with him forever. 
so it never fails. It never corrupts. It never wears out. Like the shoes in the desert, they, your body will never wear out. Yeah. So is that boring or depressing? It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds really good. Chapter 4. Therefore, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in Jesus. For he stands firm against sin and attack. Therefore, we can stand firm against sin and attack. And we are pressing on to his glory. Verse 2, chapter 4. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. To have and share the mind of Christ, to find unity in God's plan, not necessarily in each other, but in the Lord he asked them to agree. So how many times have we talked about in the Lord? And th this is, Philippians has a lot, but you read Ephesians, the first chapter of Ephesians, and it is just, every phrase is, it's not qualified by in the Lord, it's, a, it's, it's explained by the term in the Lord. So we finally get to, Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Have we got it? Do you have it? Why that makes perfect sense? Why should you rejoice in the Lord always? We just rehearsed about 20 different reasons. When I am moved to love someone, I trust that it is Christ loving through me. When I receive peace and strength, I trust that this is God's, Christ's own peace and strength welling up within me. When I'm called to rejoice, I trust that it is Christ rejoicing in me. And Paul reinforces this command by saying, always and again rejoice. Now, what happens, we've gone through this in the last 40 minutes, what happens if you don't think, believe, feel, trust, live this way? <laughs> what happens? What happens if, what happens if you don't? You can't see that Christ is alive in you. But, but there is a way out. There's a way out. We are, we are called to study and to obey God's word. But this new identity that we've been talking about is not something we achieve on our own by converting ourselves. The first cause is God's gracious work apart from and outside of our own. It is important to realize that Christ does not come into us to improve the old self, to guide you into a better life. He comes to do away with the old man, to kill him, really, and to raise up a new man. Jesus is not the friend of the old self in your life. He is the enemy.
Jesus doesn't come in just happy to be of some service to you. <clears throat> he is bent on replacing the old man with a new man. Like himself. John Calvin wrote, We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, we are separated from him. All that he suffered and has done for the salvation of the human race, race remains useless and of no value for us. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. Yes, there is something really, really precious about this in the Lord, about Christ in us. We, we see that all of our righteousness, all of our holiness, all of our redemption, all of our blessing is found outside of us. Right? Your righteousness is not something within. It's from out. It's from Christ. But while none of our righteousness is our own, Christ is our own. Christ is our own. And while none of our holiness belongs to us, Christ belongs to those who believe in him. So how could these blessings of God in our lives, like peace, joy, and strength, ever result from anything other than the fact Christ is in us also? In other words, if we gain righteousness and redemption outside of ourselves through the work of Christ, it just stands to reason that we also gain hope and strength and love from outside of ourselves as Christ comes in. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we receive that's good and powerful comes from God comes from the life of Christ in us. If we, <laughs> if we were able to have one stitch of true hope or joy or peace apart from God, then Jesus wouldn't be our one and only sufficient one. If we were to have one stitch of hope or peace or strength or love apart from God's work, then Christ would not be our one and only sufficient one. Is it any wonder then that the fruit of the Spirit, any fruit of the Spirit appearing in, us, appearing in us is also the result of Christ's precious presence and work in our lives? The deepest, richest, most satisfying spiritual experience we can enjoy on earth is Christ in us. In his working, in his rejoicing, his, his humility, his words, his power, his consolation, his attitude, his strength to press on, his rejoicing actually coming alive in us. We're going to enter into communion here this morning where we give real consideration to the death of Christ for us. And then when we eat the, the bread and drink the juice, a physical representation of Christ in us. Now, the church has debated a lot about what this communion elements really are. 
Let us, let us satisfy our thoughts today with knowing Christ's presence in us. It's really the spirit of Christ in us. And this is a symbol of, of how we recognize him and we worship him by remembering his death and how he gave himself for us. So I ask you to remember the death of our Savior who gave his life to bear the wrath of God for the punishment of sin. And if there's anyone here that's never received Christ in this way that I've described here this morning, then remember this. Jesus lived the life of perfection that we could not live. Was continuously pleasing to God, but he laid down his life to die on the cross and bear God's punishment in our place. And if we believe in him, he will offer us this gift of eternal life. You see, God raised Jesus from the dead and validated that death had no power over Christ. Validated that Christ accepted the sacrifice, that God accepted the sacrifice of, of Christ for, on our behalf. The key to receiving Christ is faith. And if you want to receive Christ, then ask God now to give you the faith to believe and receive him. The Lord Jesus saves us from the punishment our sins deserve and makes us into a new creation where he lives in us and produces his fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for revealing your peace and strength in us. We thank you for loving and rejoicing through us. We, we trust you now, Lord, to shape our lives, to shape our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions more and more after you. Lord, we rejoice in you always. Lord, we rejoice in you always. For you are our one and only. We pray this in Jesus' name.